Good morning. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing our uh, study to grow in love today. I just want to say how encouraging it is to have Josh up here. He is just an encouragement to me with how genuine he is, how much he loves the Lord. And that's our topic for today is loving the Lord, as he mentioned. Last week, we spent time talking about how we're going to love one another. And this week, we're moving on to the next part, loving God. It sounds like such a simple command. You should love God. I mean, of course we should. He's the one who created us. He's the one who saved us from our sins. He's the one who provides for our needs. So why do we even need to talk about this this morning? I mean, shouldn't it just be a given that all of us love God? Why do so many people struggle to love God? We'll answer that in a moment. During his ministry, Jesus repeats the greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This was, along with the thing we talked about last week, loving your neighbor as yourself, encompassing the whole law and the prophets. This was everything that had been taught, was to love God and to love those around us. So we need to start at the same place we did last week. We need to recap by defining love for us once again. Because we know love because of God. He defined love for us and He is love. He showed us love through His providence to us that He meets all our needs in life. And even more so, He showed us love through His Son dying on the cross for us. God shows us that love is eternal and lasting because He is eternal and lasting. His love does not expire, fade, or disappear God shows us that he was willing to sacrifice because he loved us. He gave us his love unconditionally and totally because God loved first. So when Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, he's telling us to love like God loves. Love in totality, love perfectly. That's what we're supposed to do. God created us to imitate his love. Oh, to be like thee, right? We have this image here that last week we talked about how God loves so that we should love others. John says this in 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If we don't love our brother, there's no way that we love God. That's, that's a given. So last week's lessons are a prerequisite for us, for us coming in. How to love God is by how we love one another. So if we end the lessons today and you think, man, I don't have enough ways to love God. I, I don't know where to go. Consider last week's lessons. They go hand in hand. In fact, it's kind of hard to find a passage in Scripture that tells us to love God without in the very same breath telling us to love people around us too. They just are these intertwined um, actions that we do to take on the love of God and to grow in that way. This is God's expectation for us, that we might grow in love. So if you need to grow in love, you need to love your brother, and you need to love our God. So this week, we will see how God loves us so we should love Him. There's so much that we could say about the love of God that will have to be left unsaid just due to time this morning. But for this morning, we simply need to get the definition of God's love in front of us. He loved us so much that He gave His only Son on the cross for us so that we might respond. That's an important thing to remember. God's love is never just to be observed. It is to be imitated. It is to be taken into ourselves and reflected back towards Him. That's what He calls us to do. That's who He is. 
And love is what God is. So let's read our text. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We know what love is. It is what God is. So let's take a look at our passage and see how we can love him. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1 of 1 John. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our sentence that we're going to keep coming back to is, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John doesn't say those exact words in this paragraph, but he's, you know, how he writes in cycles. He always comes back to the same teaching at different points in his letter. In chapter 5 and verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. That's his, that's his finale that he's building towards here. So, let's get back to our question. If the love of God is there in front of us, then why do people struggle to love God? I mean, it seems like this should come easily to us. We have a God who created us, loves us, and has offered salvation to us. I mean, what's not to love? What is there that is holding us back from just responding with love as much as we can to Him? Remember that from the earliest times of humanity, people have not loved God the way they should. If our definition is, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments... From the very beginning, the first people did not love God the way they should. And the way that we see that people haven't loved God is that they haven't seen their sin. I mean, that's where John starts here in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I am writing these things so that you may not sin. We have a God, we have an advocate, Jesus the righteous, who removes our sin, who is the propitiation for our sins. People of all time don't see or understand their sin. Sin is not important. It's not a big deal to them. I'm not, if I'm not separated from God, why do I need to love Him? I mean, there's no gap there. There's no reason for me to love the way I should. We take a look back at chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. John says, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Do you see twice there? The truth and the word are not in us if we don't see our sin. In other words, we have no claim to a relationship with God if we say we aren't sinners. If we say I've never sinned, that truth, that word... It can't be in us. There is no one way of finding it. When we deny that we're sinners, we don't have any way of finding that true relationship of God because that relationship lies in reconciliation. We see this played out in the Gospels. Jesus is constantly being rejected by those who think that they're religious, those who think they're already good on their own, the ones who belong are the ones who don't see their need for Jesus. But those who see their sin, those who are desperate, try to come close to God. The tax collector and the sinner 
are constantly surrounding Jesus. And this angers the religious, the Pharisees, and people like them when they see Jesus is spending time with people who are not supposed to be close to you. How in the world can the righteous do this? Turn to Luke chapter 7. This emphasizes what we're saying pretty well. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, is a great image of what it looks like for someone to love God and the place they come from. So starting in verse 36, we have a sinful woman hanging around Jesus. I mean, this is a pretty common idea. There are sinful people hanging around Jesus often, but this one seems special for our point this morning. Starting in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Pay attention to what Jesus asks here. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman... He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointments. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Here it is again. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman served Jesus and gave honor to Jesus by washing his feet. Isn't that interesting? That's the same thing we talked about last week of how we should love one another. Jesus got down, put the towel on, and wash their feet. That's Jesus teaching how we should interact with each other. And this woman, this sinful woman who the Pharisees say, no, she should be outside. Why is she here? Is showing us how to love God. And the reason she's able to show us that we can love God is because she was a sinful woman who knew her place, who knew what Jesus deserved and what she was willing to give. So what does Jesus say here? In verse 42, he says, She loved more, not feared more, not respected more. No, her sin caused her to love more. And then verse 47, people who are forgiven more, love more. Those who know that they have sinned know they need God's forgiveness more than anything else in the world. And when that forgiveness is found, we have an unshakable foundation for love to grow on. 
provided we always remember the transformation Jesus has caused in us. We've got to see we're sinners if we're going to love God. It's the foundation. It changes the way we view our relationship. So that's where we have to start. You can turn back to 1 John 2. We'll be in there the rest of the lesson. So we need to remember our sin if we are going to love God. I'm not saying that you need to wallow in your guilt, wear that temptation and that sin, never let go of your mistakes. I mean, we've been offered forgiveness. It's been given to us that we have been changed. But we do need to remember how much we've been transformed because of God. If we don't see how unlovable we were, we won't respond rightly to the love we've been shown. So we need to see our sin. (coughs) More generally, we need to see our need for God. I mean, we see sometimes that, okay, I need to be forgiven of my sins, but we maybe don't need all the other parts of God. We We don't rely on Him for many other things. I mean, we can see this in our world today. We're fooled into thinking that we're self-sufficient. I mean, I can make enough money that I don't need God to put a food on my table or a roof over my head. You know, I am completely able to take care of myself. I mean, isn't that the biggest lie there ever is? We, li- we are blessed to live in a prosperous place like America. I mean, so many of our needs are met without us even having to think about it. We are... You know, we wake up and we've got food in the cupboard. We've got, you know, our fridges are full. We've got clothes to put on our back and we don't even have to worry about it. I mean, there are thrift stores in America. (laughs) Need I say more? We have so many ways that we can get what we need. God just wants us to trust him for the forgiveness of sins and even in the smaller things too. Read Matthew chapter 6 if you want confirmation of this. I mean, we've talked about this in Exodus class lately. And the first things that God showed the Israelites when they began to wander in the wilderness was not that he could conquer some nation after the Red Sea closed up. He had already shown them that. But they're into the wilderness, into this new relationship with God, and God gives them water, he gives them manna, and he gives them water again. He is showing them, you can rely on me even for your most basic needs. He can provide for our needs. Only He can provide for our needs. So we need to stop thinking that we are self-sufficient. Stop thinking that we can do it on our own because self-sufficient people do not love like needy people do. Until we see that He meets our needs, we won't love Him like we should. We don't love God until that we see we are sinners and we are needy people. That reliance on God teaches us to love Him. So why do people struggle to love God? They don't think they need him. That's really where it lies. So let's move on to our next part. How do we love God? If we can overcome that reliance, how do we do it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's such a simple phrase, but it carries with it such difficult lifestyle, doesn't it? Let's break it down just a little bit. So first, my commandments. First thing we need to mention is others' commandments are not good enough. There are a few different ways that we can make mistakes in this. When we try to love God by keeping our own commandments or by following the commandments of others' teaching. So first, let's focus on removing self from the commandments. When this has happened, something that happens in scriptures, the famous summary statement from the book of Judges, um, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? I mean, we've, we've seen this happen in our world today, too. 
People certainly think that. People think about how they perceive God rather than how God is actually described in His Word. I mean, a popular phrase today is, God just wants me to be happy. I mean, that's not found in Scripture. That's not what God has said about Himself and what we should learn about Him. That's something I think up, right? That's something we as people try to create. It's a hard thing to wrap our heads around because we so often think the things that I like, the things that I believe are commandments, when really they might just be preferences. They might just be the way we've been raised, might be tradition. We've been raised to think a certain way and our life experiences can give us strong reactions to what we should or should not do. And we build our lives around the things that sometimes we have come to understand from things outside of Scripture. I mean, even the apostles struggled with this. I mean, who did they think Jesus was for much of his ministry? But a king who was going to come and sit on a throne in Israel and remove Roman rule from their lives and deliver them from an unjust nation. That's their culture teaching them that. That's what they were growing up hearing and the kinds of things that were changing their thinking and impacting how they lived. It wasn't until the resurrection came that they actually understood what Jesus meant. It can take quite a bit to root out my thinking and replace it with God's truth. I mean, John talks about this, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. This is my teaching here in 15 through 17 that John is rooting out. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. The pride of life is trying to pull us away from loving God the way that we should. We need to think about our preferences, our worldview, our traditions, and really test them up against what the Word of God is saying to us. Where do they stack up when we put them beside what God has said? Do they agree, or do we need to get rid of them? That's our only options. That's what we have to do if we love God. Because if our thoughts are contradicting God's thoughts, the love we have for God is false. We have an illegitimate love if we love something other than who God truly says He is. We've got to be very careful to have His commandments and remove self from them. But that's not the only way to miss commandments. Because removing others' teaching from commandments, keep my commandments, is important as well. The final part of this chapter, uh, verses 18 through 27, talk about this. That there is an antichrist coming who is going to be bringing false teaching. I mean, that's the word John uses to describe the false teacher, an antichrist. I can't think of a, of a more descriptive way of us thinking, okay, I shouldn't listen to that. But... There are so many false teachings that have been spread to change how we follow Jesus. I mean, the goal of the false teacher in this section is to get someone to deny the Father and the Son. And this can take different forms. I mean, different people in history have denied that Jesus was a man. He did not come and live in humanity, therefore he's not who he says he was. Or others have denied that he is God. And that's pretty popular today that he is this person who came and lived in as a man, but he's not anything more than that. It's denying 
who God says he is. We do not have a real love for God if we hear these false teachings and believe them. So we need to make sure we're listening to my commandments, the commandments of the Lord, and not anything else from self or others that contradicts God. Read with me verses 24 and 25. John says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. There's a great reward if we have His commands in front of us and in us and part of us. We know His commands, not ours. This means we know our Bibles if we're going to love God. If you say you love God, but you, you don't know your Bible, you don't read it ever, you probably have a misunderstanding of who God is. This is where He teaches you what He is, who He is, and what we need to do about it. That's what we need to be basing our life on. So we need to be opening our Bibles every day and spending time discovering who God is so we can love Him fully. We need to spend time every day discerning how we should respond to the great God who created us, saved us, and teaches us how to follow and love Him. So we have these commandments that are from Him. But what do we do with them? They're His. Now what? Keep my commandments. Keep His word to perfect the love of God. I mean, look back at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 2. Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. The love of God is perfected in us when we obey the word of God. What this means is that we are in him. We have a relationship with him when we do what he says. I mean, we understand this on a much lesser level on our relationships today. And if you love someone, but you never I mean, you never do what they ask you to do. Is that relationship going to last very long? Even if there's not like a submission authority dynamic, we're, we're equal friends, we're on the same level, and he asks me a favor, and every time he asks a favor, I say, no, not interested. That friendship is going to fail. That love is not there. So when God, who has all authority, and we who should be submitting to him with all the humility we can muster, if we don't do his commandments, that love is missing. It's as missing as a friend who won't be there for you in a time of need. God wants us to keep his commandments. The love of God is perfected when we keep his commandments. So if we expect to have a relationship with God, we'd better expect to do what he says. For one, I mean, he has all authority and power. And so we should be listening to him even if we weren't invited to be his children. If our only motive was to avoid the wrath of God, we should still be willing to obey. But we have a greater motive that's been presented to us through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because He has loved us, we should obey. The love of God is perfected in that relationship when we keep what He has commanded us to do. I don't know if we have any greater motivation than this. The love of God is so perfect that it calls us to do more than what we think we should. But there's a qualifier in this in verse 6 as well. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. <laughs> oh, to be like thee, right? We have a God who didn't just command us to follow him when we feel like it, when we're feeling strong, when we are well-rested, well-fed, then we can be 
keeping his commandments. He says, walk like Jesus walked. Tim and I were talking about this this week. This very well could be our theme verse for growing in Christ. Walk as he walked is what we should be doing as a people of God. So next time you read through the Gospels, count how many times Jesus talks about doing the will of the Father. How much he cares about keeping God's commandments. It's important to him because he has the love for the Father the way he should. It should be important to us because we should walk like he walked. Jesus shows us what true love for the Father is because he has shown us true obedience. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2 verse 8. Love isn't mentioned in that verse, but it's in that verse. He was obedient. Jesus loved God so much that he wanted to do his will even when it was hardest for him. In the garden, Jesus asked God to let the cup of wrath pass from him. But he loved God so much and his will so much that he was willing to take himself out of everything and just follow God and go to the cross. That's what the love of God takes us to do. It takes us to obedience to the farthest place. It humbles us to our absolute lowest, and it teaches us that we should be like Jesus. We have a high calling here, don't we? If we're supposed to love God like how Jesus loved, we have fallen short time and time again. Each disobedience that we have committed against our Father has proven that our love is lacking. So thanks be to God that He loved first. His love was given to us while we were sinners so that we could have access to God's love that we otherwise would have just thrown away. The love of God makes it possible for us to have a relationship of love with God and not just out of fear. I pray that we can grow in Christ by growing in love. We've got a long way to grow together. We've got a long way to grow. We have a long way to go as a church. But it's been a good thing that we can study the love of God and see how it can impact us and grow in us. So let's commit to love God and one another so that we can grow in Christ. Josh is going to lead us in song. Let's stand as we sing.